Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the senior pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Good morning. Yes. You're blessed? Good. God's got something very, very exciting for you. You ready for it? This is one of the best messages I've ever preached. All what I've preached before seems nothing compared to this one. So are you ready? Yes. Gear up. It's going to come to you. It's going to hit you like nothing else. And if it doesn't, God help you. <laughs> hit you in a good way, okay? Not in a bad way. So I'd like you to lift up your voices and pray that God will speak to you. I really believe there's something significant in store for you. Lift up your voice and say, God, speak to me. Trust Him for His Word to come alive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray your Spirit come. Open up our spiritual eyes, Lord. We so need revelation that will change our lives. Put hope back into our hearts. Give us purpose in the way we live. Come speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message is The Gospel to the Saints. I've told you two Sundays it's coming and here it is. It's come. You see, for too long we've listened to the gospel for sinners. God loves sinners. God wants to rescue sinners. God wants to deliver sinners. We've heard that message over the years. And we have stayed with that message. But I believe that there is a gospel that the word of God speaks about regarding the saints. The word gospel is good news. And God not only has good news for sinners... He has good news for His children who are called His saints. My text for this morning is from Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to read the following verses. Verse 1 onwards. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. A little background. People of Israel were in the wilderness, and God is saying, I'm giving you the promised land. I'm doing it. I'm giving it to you. Very positive, very prophetic. Verse 23. Then they came to a valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. Just imagine, one branch with a cluster of grapes required two men holding it on a pole. It was so huge. It was so, um, I mean, rich. They brought also along with them pomegranates and figs. And then returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. 
Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell, who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. You see, God says, go and spy out the land. Instead of sticking to spying out the land, they were spying out the people there in the land. Deviated a little bit. And they began to see the people and how strong and how fortified the cities were. Verse 30. Then Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Can you say this after me? For we are well able to overcome. <laughs> say it again. For we are well able to overcome. When Caleb heard the news, he was excited and he was raring to go. Unfortunately, there were not many to keep company with him. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they, have, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land which... We have gone, has spies in a land. So is as spies in a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Therefore, we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Remember the word I, I brought probably two Sundays back. What you behold, you will become. What you behold, you will become. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, so they spoke as grasshoppers, they acted like grasshoppers, they felt like grasshoppers, they became grasshoppers in their own eyes and in the eyes of the people. What you behold, you will eventually become. They failed to get into the promised land, not because God failed, it's because they failed to believe what God said about them. They believed what God said about the land. They went there, saw the land, proved what God said was true, but they failed to forget what God said to them as a people. They forgot that God had made a covenant with them to bless them. They forgot they were God's chosen and treasured possessions. They forgot they were significant in God's eyes and that God wanted to bless them and prosper them. When you forget who you are, you forget to get into the promised land. It was only Caleb and Joshua who went into the promised land. Why? Because Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who believed God concerning the promise, but also believed God concerning what God said about them. The Bible 
not only has good news for sinners, but the Bible also has got good news for the saints. Two things. We not only believe what God says concerning who He is, we need to believe God concerning who we are. And the Garden of Eden, God had this big idea of making a body and putting Himself into that body and He called that body man. Satan saw what God was doing in that Garden of Eden and said to himself, Oh no, I have a problem with him up there. He's cast me down on the earth. And now God has made someone who looks just like him and I can't handle both of them, one on earth and the other in heaven. So he said, I'm going to come up with a plan. And Satan carefully thought through his plan. And he thought, if he only told Eve a lie about God, they would find out that was not true. So he came up with a different lie. And he said, if I can only tell Eve a lie about who she is, and if she believes it, I will abort God's plan. And so Satan told her, that serpent, Eve, don't think you're like God. You're not like God. Forget it. You're not like God. And in the place of that lie, the serpent deceived her and, re and defined who he thought she should be. When we look at the story in the book of Genesis... We notice that the fight was never between God and Satan, but the battle was between Satan and man because Satan didn't want to have another one looking just like God on the earth. And so that's where the battle was, between God and man. Satan succeeded in deceiving man and that is what separated man from God. You see, sin didn't come into this world by Adam and Eve having an argument with God. Sin came into this world by Satan having an argument with Eve concerning who she was. Are you getting this this morning? We have so many theological colleges. The word theo means God, college means studies. Oh, profound. And so much of our emphasis is trying to understand who God is. But where the enemy is beating us rotten is not in our, in our understanding of who God is, but He's getting to us because we have failed to understand who we are. And that's how sin came into this world because Adam and Eve failed to understand who God is, who God made them to be. When you believe lies about who you are, it separates you from God. It separates you from God. And if you're feeling that God is distant, that God 
doesn't understand you, the problem is not who he is, the problem is how you look at yourself. Your lies that you the lies that you believed about yourself separates you and distances you from God. We find it much more easy to believe everything the Bible says regarding who God is, but we battle and battle and struggle over what the Bible says regarding who you and I are. Isn't that true? We battle with it. In fact, it's much more easy to believe who Jesus is rather than believe what Jesus has done in us and who He says we are. God didn't give up on His idea just because the serpent aborted God's plan for her life. God spoke to the serpent and said, I will get you for this. There will be one who will come from the seed of a woman and he will crush your head. And in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, the Bible says in the fullness of time, God got another body, but this time he got it from a womb of a woman called Mary. And he got into that womb and rebooted the system. And the system is called the body. That body that came from that womb is now called Jesus. And Jesus is known as the last Adam. And it's important for us to know that. He is also called the last Adam. So now Satan has trouble on his hands. He eradicated the first one that looked like God in the Garden of Eden. Now he's got someone into this world who looks just like God, how is he going to eradicate this one now? He came up with the plan again. And he thought, the first one worked well with Eve, I will try it again. Because it seems to be working. The best, in, the best lie that he's ever come up with. And so we see in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was in the wilderness, in his time of fasting and praying, Satan shows up and says, Oh, now you think you're God. You think you're God? No way. If you think you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Let me see. And Satan, Jesus dealt with him with the word. He took a walk and he went away. He came back again. He took Jesus to the pinnacle. And then he says, you think you're God? You think you're really the Son of God? Forget it. If you are, throw yourself down and the angel will catch you. Jesus dealt with him again with the word. He took a walk. He came back again. He's persistent. And this time, he took Jesus to the mountain. And he says, you really think you're God? You think that? You believe that? Bow down and worship me. I'll give you everything. Jesus dealt with him with the word of God and he kept silent. He didn't come back with any more tricks. Why do you think Satan was doing that with Jesus? He wanted to bring confusion in his identity. 
He wanted to bring confusion. He wanted Jesus to stop believing that He is like God and He is created by God. He wants to bring the confusion. And so He thought, if I could only get Jesus to disbelieve who He is, I've accomplished and I've aborted it for the second time. Are you getting the message? Dig someone next to you and say, are you getting it? The gospel is not only about who God is, but the gospel is also about who we are. Can somebody shout an amen? He said, we've only believed one part of the gospel when it comes to God and conveniently left out the second part of the gospel. But all of the Bible, all of the scriptures is about God and is about people. And then in between, Satan trying to interfere with, with God's plans. The reason why Satan did not succeed with Jesus because Jesus understood who he was and God's big plan that he had for his life. Many get the first one right, but not the second one. This morning, let's look at this powerful statement that Jesus makes concerning himself in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 7th verse. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world... He said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. He's talking to his father. And he says, God the father didn't desire sacrifices and offering. But a body you have prepared for me. He understood what it meant for God to inhabit a human body. Are you listening to me? And Jesus knew the significance of inhabiting a human body. I got news for you. God is still looking for bodies today to inhabit. God is still looking for bodies to inhabit. And Jesus understood the significance of his body. We must understand the significance of our body. And he's not looking for sacrifices and offering. He's looking for that one individual. He's looking for that one man and one woman who's willing to lay their bodies on the altar and say, God, this is what you desired from day one when you created man. You created him with a big idea of man being that body where he could dwell, he could live, he could move, he could talk and continue his work in this world. That's his big idea. Oh, thank you, Lord, the church is coming alive. Verse 7, then he said, behold, you know what the word behold means? Look, 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 I have come and in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So Jesus discovered who he was in the volume of the book. He discovered it. He had a choice to believe what his parents said about him. He had a choice to believe 
After all, I'm an ordinary man. My dad was a carpenter. These are my brothers and sisters. God only knows what they told him. But he had a choice to believe. His natural descent. He had a choice to believe what was going around, what was going around in his family. Or to believe what the scripture said about him. Oh, behold, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. Jesus not only believed what was written in the volume of the book, he also spoke it, he declared it, and says, this is who I am, because it was declared in the volume of the book. Which book? The scriptures that you're holding in your hand this morning. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Luke chapter 135, I am the Son of God. Jesus knew who He was. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to God through me. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 15, 2, I am the true wine. You see, there is many more. He discovered in the volume of the book what the scripture said about me about him unlike Eve the last Adam didn't buy into the lies that the serpent of Satan came to sell him with he didn't buy into it because he knew who he was This morning, it is not only true about Jesus, it's true about us. And we could say, behold, look, look, in the volume of this book, it is also written about me, who, me, about you, about all of us, in the volume of the book. You have your Bibles? Lift it up, please. And say this after me. In the volume of this book. Can you turn up the volume please? In the volume of this book. It is written about me. You believe that? It's written. The Bible is full of verses speaking about you. You, you, yes, you, me. It's speaking in the volume of the book. And it says, behold. Behold, look at it. Look at those verses. It speaks about me, me, me. So much that the Bible has about me. We take those verses. Sinner will underline that me. Worm, me. That's the gospel for the sinners. You're a sin. You're a child of God. Look at the, in the volume of the book and discover for yourself what the Bible says about me. I am happy 
I am so happy. Even after the worst service was over, I felt like catching people and saying, Behold, the volume of this book has spoken about me, about me, about me. I'm in the Word of God, and the Word of God is in me. It speaks about me. God thinks about me. I am there, right in the center of all that God wants to do. Why? Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. Me. Oh, I love it. Me. It's there in your Bible. It's about me. You discover for yourself. <laughs> See how the Apostle Paul describes who we are. John 1.12 I am forgiven and I'm made part of the family in heaven. That's me. Say that's me. I'll say it again. I'll give you another chance. I am forgiven and I am made part of his family in heaven. I am redeemed so that I can be like him. I am filled with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. He has sent me to do the things that he did. Jesus was limited. He had only one body, two hands, two feet. But now he has me. You believe that? In the volume of the book... It is written about me. It is written about you. Satan aborted every one of God's plan because people never believed the gospel to the saints. No time. I was looking, give you some little homework. Look at Moses' life. He had so much of argument with God because he was struggling to believe what God said about him. He had more faith to believe in a rod than him. Hello? Hello? He had more faith in what God will do in a rod rather than him. So God says, okay, take the rod. But in the volume of the book, it's speaking about me. Oh, hallelujah. I'm forgiven. 1 John 1, 9. I am blessed, Ephesians 1, 3. I am healed, Ephesians 5, Isaiah 53, verse 5. I am the salt of this world, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I am the light of this world, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I am united with Christ. I am one with Him in spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. I am anointed. I am loved. I am accepted the same way Jesus was loved and accepted. John chapter 15, verse 9. It says about me. I can make this list longer, but for now it's okay. If you can get to believe this part, every one of the scriptures is not talking about Jesus, it's talking about you. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about us. You'd like to say it after me? I'm forgiven. I'm blessed. I'm healed. I'm the salt of this world. I am the light of this world. 
I am united with Christ. I am one with Him in spirit. I am anointed. I am anointed. I am appointed. I am loved. I am accepted. The same way Jesus was loved and accepted. You believe that? That's the gospel for saints. That's the gospel. You feel good about it? You see, this is grace. This is grace. Why? Has none of us deserved to be accepted? None of us deserve to be loved. None of us deserve to be blessed. But God says, this is who you are because of His grace. If you're still a sinner, that's disgrace. That means, in simple English, you miss grace. So if you're still feeling like a miserable sinner, after the service, we have an you have an opportunity to receive grace. And when you receive grace, what happens? I'm forgiven. I'm blessed. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of this world. The world needs me. The world needs me. The world needs me. The world needs me. The world needs you. I am the hope for this world. You're saying yes? You too are the hope for this world. I only wish I discovered this earlier. We believed all the lies that the enemy said about us. But now, it's time like what Jesus says. Behold, look, in the volume of the scriptures, it speaks about me. Religion told us we were nothing. We were sinners. And if we ever got our act together, we would be reincarnated into some other body, some really worm somewhere, sometime you will become. What a hopeless message that is. But in the volume of this book, we can discover what God says about me. If I can believe that Jesus is alive and whatever he said about himself is true, then I can also believe that whatever he said about me is also true. Can somebody shout an amen? You know, the church, by large, is ineffective. Not because they don't know who they... Not because they got their belief in Jesus wrong. The church is ineffective because they got their belief about themselves wrong. That's why the church is ineffective. You ask someone witnessing, Me, me, can't open my mouth. Can't test too many my knees will have fellowship with one another. Me. You see... That's why the church is still quaking inside. Because we have not discovered in the volume of the book what he says about me. Me. Don't you think this is the best message I've ever preached? You agree? That means the other message was not so good. <laughs> I am happy with this. 
Forget it. Let me. <laughs> Jesus came into this world to not only reveal to us who God is, He came to reveal to us who we are. He put God in our body to show us how we are to live life. That's the purpose of Jesus. We always get used to the prayer, to praying, Jesus, you are the answer for this world. You are the answer. We pray that. I hear that so often in prayer meetings. And heaven is shouting and saying, no, no, don't say that I'm the answer. You are the answer for this world. Do you realize it? You are the answer for this world. You are God's voice. You are God's hands. You are God's feet. You are God's dwelling place in this world. Heaven says, look, He will call you by name and say, you are my answer in this world. Can somebody shout an amen? You believe that? You believe that? Say, I am the answer for this world. And if I don't give the answer, this world will go to dogs. Say Say, say, say. If I don't give the answer to this world, this world will go to dogs. Yes. For whatever your dogs mean. That is gone to dogs. That's it. You see, today, it's the church that has failed. And that's why we sing what we sing in the world today. For years we used to pray, Lord, anoint me, anoint me. Hey, I am anointed. You like that? That's what the Bible says. Let's look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 to 21. I am, I, I am an ambassador for Christ. Let's read that verse. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through, through, God is pleading through you and me. He's pleading with our voice and our emotions. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador says, look, I can't go, you go in my place. And God is saying, I can't, I can't go to that mall, but you go in my place and tell the people in Garuda Mall that there is a Savior and He's alive and He wants to dwell in their hearts. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you go in my place? Would you go in my place, tell people about my love? Would you go in my place, heal people, deliver people? That is what an ambassador is, taking the place of Jesus that is what you and I are called. We are called to take His place in this world. I like the look on your face. Suddenly a missile has hit you. Some of you are having indigestion problem. I am glad you are having some problem. Because that's how you will find lay hold of the truth. Change the way you look at yourself. Because that's, that's, you're not doing it to feel good. That's the way God sees you. Whether you believe it or not, that's what the volume of the book says about you. Says about you. If you disbelieve it, you got Satan to abort God's plan in your life. Who's the loser? You're the loser. If you believe it, you get God to fulfill His plan into our life. 
we don't have a problem believing everything the Word of God says about Jesus, then why should we have a problem believing everything the Word of God says about us? We must first see Jesus in His Word. We must first see Jesus in His Word, in the Bible that you read. We then must see Jesus in a man. And then we must see Jesus in you and me. And that's what Christianity is all about. May God give us that vision to see Jesus in us. It is not only important for us to see Jesus on the throne. It is equally important for us to see Jesus in you and in me. When Jesus died, he rose up and he told his disciples, stop moaning. I'm coming back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to give the devil a hell of a trouble. Understand what I'm saying? You see, Satan never even conceptualized what God had in mind for this world. So Satan now has double trouble. You know why? He not only has to deal with God up in heaven, he has to deal with Jesus down here through each and every one of us. Just imagine Satan walking into this room. He goes to the first one near the door. Oh my, this is Jesus. I go to the next one. Oh, this is Jesus. He goes, there's Jesus all over in this room. Let me leave. You like that? He's so confused. He says, God has put Jesus, his spirit, into every one of us. There is no room for him in this place. Thank God he has no room for him in this place. That was God's big dream for you and me. That was God's original plan for, for humanity. Put His Spirit, put Himself in a body called man so that we can manifest and populate this earth with the glory of God. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 You are of God, little children. He who is in you. Who's the he? Who's the he? Who's the he? Jesus who is in you is greater than he that is in this world. Can you say this after me? I, I got inspired during worship. I'm greater than the devil. You believe that? I'll tell you, you know, never mind if you don't cast out a demon. Just saying it is good. Hello, are you there with me? Say it again. I'm greater than the devil. Are you frightened? If you're frightened, come up for prayer after this. It cast the devil out of here. But you know, it's a nice thought. Why? Because in the volume of the book, it says, I have authority over demons. I have authority over sickness. And therefore, I am greater than the devil. And I will exercise that authority wherever I have the opportunity. That is about me. Me, me. Who? Me. John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. Jesus comes back to his disciples and he says to them the most precious words that we should hold on to. to. He says, As the Father, as the Father, just like the way the Father has sent me, I also send you. Not only true for them, it's true for us. 
We need to believe it. That was his plan. As the Father sent him, he also sends us. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. We are living our lives with a mandate from heaven. We're living our lives with objectivity. We're living our lives with purpose. I don't know who said this and when they said it, but sometime in the last week, they looked at me and this lady said to me, you must be so happy with your life. I said, you're absolutely true. That's not prophetic, that's true. You must be so fulfilled. And she kept looking at me. I smiled at her. When you discover what God has for you, and when you discover the you to the volume of the book, you too will be fulfilled. You too will be filled with satisfaction. Because that's what it said about you. If Satan only knew that God had a plan to recruit bodies. How many bodies are here? Put your hand up. Thank God, you're all bodies. None spirit here. You're all bodies. Everybody. Body. God is looking for bodies. Your body is significant to God. Your body was never meant to indulge in sin. Your bodies. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said this, sacrifices and offering is not what you want. All he wants is a body. Satan destroyed the first one in Eden. Couldn't destroy the other one. Came from Mary. Can we rise up in our spirit and say, Devil, you're not going to destroy this body because in the volume of this book, the Bible says he has prepared this body to do his will, O Lord. You like this? I'm enjoying it. I can keep you on. He didn't say no. I'll take that as a cue. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8. If Satan ever knew what God would do. He wouldn't have crucified the king of glory. The biggest mistake he did was put Jesus on the cross. And he said, yeah, I crucified him. Crucified. He didn't know he was going to come up in spirit and get into all of us. And now treat him with a good mighty blow. He didn't see it coming his way. This is what F.F. Bosworth in his book says. Christianity is the only form of religion that cannot be compared with any other religion in the world. Christianity is not a religion. A religion is a ceremony. A religion is a formality. A religion is a tradition. But Christianity is a life. And then he added, Christianity is the only form of worship in which the object worshipped dwells in the heart of the worshipper. Hallelujah. No other religion claims that their God lives in their heart. This differentiates Christianity from all other religions. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? 
If their God lived in their heart, they'll have trouble. They start jumping around. Victor, behave yourself. <laughs> Christianity is the only one who not only has the object of who we worship dwell in our hearts, but let me read what T.L. Osborne says. Let me give it to you as it is. Here's it on the screen. The founders of other religions are dead. They cannot confirm their teaching from their tomb or from their graves. Jesus Christ is the, only, is the one and only one who is alive in the present. God raised him from the dead and he is alive in us now. Yeah. Hallelujah. Other religious founders, regardless of their nobility, belong to the past. Jesus is the only one who shares his divine life now with his followers. Spiritual founders who are dead cannot share their life with their followers. Isn't that amazing? That's why I like that old chorus. The younger generation doesn't know anything about these old choruses. I still remember it. I used to sing it. He walks with me. He talks with me. A long life narrow way. He lives. He lives. I know He lives because He lives in my heart today. Oldies, you remember that? Good. Yes, we'll sing it. I hope the younger generation catches up with us. Charles, you need some homework to do. God's giving us an invitation this morning. If you never know what it is, to have the resurrected Jesus dwelling in your heart this morning is an opportunity. I'm not talking about how many services you attended or how many Bible verses you can quote. I'm asking you one thing. Do you know the resurrected Jesus is alive and He wants to dwell in your heart? If you don't know that, then you're not a Christian. A Christian is one who knows that Christ is in his heart. That's true. It's in the Bible. Go read Romans chapter 8. The Bible gives us an invitation in Romans in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. A figure of speech. Jesus wants you to invite him into your life. Why? Because he wants to dwell. He wants to take possession that body so that he can manifest his presence through you and that you can embrace the good news for saints good news for believers thank you for listening to this message to know more about us please visit www.adonai-ministries.com